Welcome to the Underrepresented in Tech podcast, hosted by Michelle Frechette and Ali Nimmons. Underrepresented in Tech is a free database built with the goal of helping people find new opportunities in WordPress and tech overall. Hi, Ali. Hi, Michelle. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. And I'm even better than usual because we have a very, very, very special guest on the podcast today. I know. I'm so super excited. This is somebody who I've invited for webinars before and certainly connected with on multiple levels across Twitter and in real life. And yeah, and this is somebody who's... um, enthusiasm and whose energy levels, I would just hope that I could somehow get to those levels of enthusiasm <laughs> and, and energy. But um, it's probably already like in the notes and you've already seen who it is. So we're like making like it's this like a mystery guest. But <laughs> and, and you know, maybe there is a little bit of mystery to you. I don't know. But welcome, Maddie <laughs> <Maybe>. Asman. <laughs> welcome, Maddie Asman to the show. Maddie, we're so excited to have you Yay, here. And welcome. Can- And congratulations, you You just launched a book and books are not easy. A whole book, not even just like a pamphlet. It's not an ebook. It's not a pamphlet. It isn't a like, Hey, a white paper. It's a whole freaking book. Mm It's amazing. It's a book. Congratulations. Tell people what it's called. Yeah. Tell us about the book. So the book is called Writing for Humans and Robots, The New Rules of Content Style. And um, to kind of, I guess, make it relevant back to people who like books about writing, um, it's kind of like a take on the elements of style. But of course, the elements of style was written in 1918. They didn't know about WordPress or the internet. And so the book is trying to sort of bridge the gap between everything that they said, which is still very relevant but just they didn't know about the internet yeah there was no twitter they there's nothing in there's nothing in the elements of style about 280 (laughs) characters or less no no, nothing that i have seen (laughs) (laughs) exactly well how exciting congratulations it's been a whirlwind you're now on your virtual book tour (laughs) yes yes it's part of it That's, that's the COVID way, right? Like we don't have book tours anymore. It's a virtual book tour. So you could basically do this anywhere, which is super cool. But so, and, 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 you know, this is a a podcast about underrepresentation and technology, and we've never actually talked about robots before. So, but (laughs) we're still actually going to focus this on the humans though. So, um, yeah. Just, just like the book, the book, I, it's interesting when you say like that phrase writing for humans and robots, like the visceral reactions that people have to that, like, oh, well, I think you should only write for humans. And it's like, that's the point, but <laughs> the robot is the vehicle to which you reach yes. the humans. And so we're not talking about changing your writing so much that it only appeals to the robot. We're just saying, if we can balance the needs of both then let's try and if we can't then I'm going to default to the human yeah because the robot part is what you're all reading anyway so like it's delivered like Twitter and mm-hmm. LinkedIn and all those places it's not like those aren't humans that are like calling you all on the phone saying hey, curating it did you, yeah did you hear this tweet <laughs> <laughs> And that's a great point too, which is that robots, we think about robots in terms of maybe like the title of the book as 
the Google search engine spiders, but there's also the robots that curate your social news feeds. There are the robots that exist in GPT-3 copy generation tools, which is something that I think too, people are kind of wondering what that's all about. Is it something to be scared of? But for me, I don't, I don't think that they can take over all of those uniquely human elements yet. Things like formatting, art direction, tone of voice. I, I do not think we have a GPT-3 robot that is um, uniquely skilled in all of those things or even one of those things. No. And, and when we do have a book that's like writing for robots by robots, then we should mm. worry. Yes. But right now, Watch I think out we're for that. <laughs> yeah, Maddie, you're not a robot, right? Uh, to be determined. Oh, no. <laughs> well, we're going to have to fill out a caption. <laughs> Show me some pictures of bridges or something. See, see how I do. Yeah. See, the, the other the thing that I was fun. thinking, I was just going to say the other thing that I was thinking about that, that argument that you just brought up, right. Um, is, you know, the robots were created by humans in order to more effectively talk mm-hmm. to and market to and help other humans. So like, yeah, knowing how to communicate with those robots is still a very human endeavor, I think, because like it, it I don't know, like my mind ends up going in this kind of like loop of like, well, the robots are here for the humans who are here for the robots who are here for the humans, right? right? Like it's, it's all connected and yeah, it's all very much worthwhile. If you're, if you're doing content marketing or anything like that online, it's very worthwhile. Yeah. And I think too, like, just like the robots are, they're, they're starting to maybe take on some of that human empathy, not because they actually have it, but because it is like a reflection of how we've programmed them. So like one of the things I talk about in the book is like the BERT algorithm update, which made it so that Google could process a text search query, both the way you wrote it, but then also backwards. So it used to only be able to do it one way, which means that you would get they have this excellent article on Google about like how that used to be a problem where unintended intent was derived from that query. So it's like you would type something in and Google would would get something kind of close to it, but not really the exact thing you were looking for. But now because it can process all the words in the query as they relate to each other forwards Mm -hmm. and backwards, you know, now that has created a better robotic understanding of humans, really. Whoa. It's fascinating. It is. It really is. The part of the book, though, that we wanted to kind of pull into um, the discussion here to make it relevant to underrepresented tech, although, honestly, just like having you here is is enough, but... Um, well, let's but you take it to have, the next level. Let's yeah. take it to the next <laughs> level. Let's, let's really apply it because you have a style guide on inclusion. So tell us yes. a little bit about that. That's super cool. Absolutely. So I have to give credit where credit is due here. Stephanie Holland is one of the editors on my team. And this is like her baby. This is her her big focus and project. All the editors that work with the blogsmith have contributed to the blogsmith style guide and helped it to become the document it is today, which is a little bit overwhelming to look at. It's like 36 pages long, but it's also double space. So like part of it is readability, right? But um, Stephanie... She is just one of the most like thoughtful and like careful editors when it comes to language around word choice. And one of the first chapters in the book is about word choice and and being thoughtful with it. And it's 
one of my favorite chapters. It's it's one that's also available for free if you go to writingforhumansandrobots.com. So you can check it out to kind of get like a taste of the book. But this style guide was, um, again, she kind of championed this project. We had some guidelines in the style guide already, but we recognized that there was a lot more that we could expand on. And it's probably not something that's going to come into play for every single client. Like if we're writing about web hosting stuff, it's kind of like general language audience. The, the things that we talk about are still applicable, but they don't necessarily come up. But we have some clients that work in like, very specific spaces. So like one that comes to mind is we've been working with this company called Lace and they do um, this like auditory. um, They help people who have certain like hearing processing disorders. And so like when we're talking about people who have, you know, some sort of like issues with hearing in general, you know, we want to make sure that we're referring to them the right way without alienating them because they are the customer for like, for example, this client. And so in in situations like that, language is so important. It's almost more important than the topic itself. And so that's, that's really why these guidelines came into being. It's, it's partially because the blogsmith, like we are a global, we have people in different continents, we work across different cultures. And we want to, of course, like start by respecting the people that work for the team and referring to them correctly. But it's also because we do have clients that are, you know, trying to reach very specific types of people. And in order to effectively market to them, we have to address them correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Different groups of people have different, like you said, there's different vernaculars, there's different, um, you know, just turns of phrase and things like that too. One of the things that Ali and I have talked about on the show in the past is the use of AAVE in, um, you know, in current language. And I read somewhere online and honestly, I can't remember where I saw it yesterday. Really quick. It that's AAVE means African-American Sorry. vernacular English, just for people out there who don't know. Thank Always got to define those abrevs here. For yes. You. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I saw somewhere yesterday, somebody had posted and it was probably an anonymous thing like in Reddit or something where they can't stand people who say X instead of ask. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, you poor misguided racist. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe and, that's an argument that you shouldn't get involved with. I mean, that slowly. I would... I would put that in more of the ignorant category. My mother, who is black, full 100% a black person, says the same exact thing. She can't, she hates that. She gets so annoyed with it um, because she sees it as like a young, uneducated, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think it, it it comes from so many different places, those kinds of assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a difference with saying, I hate when people say that and I hate right. people who say that. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a huge difference in in what that For person sure. had written. But the truth is that we can. And I was, re- you know, I, I started reading your book. I'm not all the way through it yet because it's been a busy week. But we can <laughs> um, end a sentence with a preposition. We can begin a sentence with and. It's okay to have sentence fragments as sentences, especially when you're writing for the internet, right? Because yes. we're writing for people to read, not because we're writing, you know, a formal um, dissertation, but we want to right. write conversationally. And that's how people speak is conversationally. Right. And so if we can write that way, it's going to appeal more to the person who's reading it. Yeah. And I think that also comes down to like, 
on a, on a like bigger scale, like what is your voice and tone? You know, like how do you interact with your target audience? How do they want to be interacted with? And so it does involve making adjustments from maybe like what your high school grammar teacher told you, you know, was important for formal writing, which they weren't wrong about. But, and kind of going back to like that idea of like the elements of style, I think the other thing is when that book was written, it wasn't necessarily for a global audience. You know, it it has become something that is relevant to a global audience in terms of the foundational rules that they talk about. But I think that's the other thing that I wanted to do with my book is like, you have to think about, maybe you have a specific audience in mind that you're trying to appeal to, but realize that people from other audiences, because the internet is global, will come across it. And so how do you want to show up to those people? You know, like, do you, do you want to be like the ugly American and how you're like, and, and how you're communicating things? Or, you know, do you want to like include everybody and make them feel welcome? And again, even if it isn't necessarily like a solution that they're going to buy, but to show respect and to build brand recognition around respect, I think that's like the goal. Yeah. And I think all the time about, you know, if you're writing content for the internet, um, so much purchasing power and decision-making power is in the hands of younger generations right now. Oh yeah. And they don't give a crap about grammar, spelling, punctuation. Like it is the thing with like Gen Z to post an all lowercase, right. To write an all lowercase. Right. Um, I, I do that on Twitter sometimes to try to seem cooler. Like I'm just going to post an all lowercase. They don't care about punctuation. What they care Mm -hmm. about is inclusive language. That's why if you start an Instagram account right now, in addition to your bio and your profile, it asks you your pronouns, right? These are the things that matter to them. And so, you know, if you're, looking to either, I think, start writing on the internet or adapt the way that you've learned how to write to the internet. Um, Mm -hmm. Those are the perspectives that are really rising to the forefront right now. And like you said, it doesn't have a lot to do with the traditional ways in which we learn to write. It's about tone. And it's also a lot about authenticity. Like younger people right now, they know that the internet is full of lies. And they know that it's full of manipulation and they really, really care about authenticity. And I think that if you're able to, you know, understand how to balance that with, you know, whatever marketing, selling, whatever it is else that you're doing, that's going to be that sweet spot. Totally. Yeah. You just don't want to fall into the, the, uh, what's it, what am I trying to say? You don't want to be one of those like brands that try to be your bro or whatever I'm trying to think of what fellow like, kids yeah yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe I think there is like a reddit subreddit that's just like fellow kids and it's all yeah. like reposting brands like awkwardly like trying to use the hip slang so there is there is a lot right yeah but there's totally a lot avoid the slang like you're you're probably okay yeah, I think so too. I love those. Like every you year uh, during Pride, you have all of these like these brands that are like slay into deals, and it's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's so oh, good. Oh man, it's the best so entertainment. Mm-hmm. Not not good yeah. for their sales or their branding. No. I don't think, no. but it is no. just a plus entertainment. Absolutely. It. I got called a boomer recently, and I had to <gasps> correct them that I'm Gen X. 
Like, <laughs> I, 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 mean, like age, man. <laughs> I feel like boomer at this point is just like a generic term for anyone over the age of like 35. It's yep. Yeah, not helpful. That's not what it's supposed to be, though. But anyway, yeah. No, <laughs> that's but that's, that's what language has kind of evolved to, though, right? Like, it, and it's it's kind of like some of the things you were saying, Allie. Like, language it evolves. Gen Z, they are bringing with them all these new things that we have to think about that you might think that you can ignore or avoid because you think it's going to go away, but it's just going to it's just going to keep adding on. And and that's another reason why books like The Elements of Style have had like five editions, you know, or mm-hmm. however many it is, it's because things change. So whenever you make a rule, like understand that it's probably gonna get broken at some point. That's and why dictionaries, that's why dictionaries weren't published once too, right? Like yeah. there are new words added to the dictionary every year exactly. for the very same reason. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, it's the other, other thing, and this is not to do with your book, but this is just something that you made me think of with Gen Z and everything yeah. else is, with advertising, we're going to have to stop using cursive writing and advertising, like in our fonts, those <laughs> cursive type fonts, because like the woman who um, works where my mom lives and takes their order for breakfast every day, mom tried to be helpful to her and write down everybody's orders because they were understaffed. And yeah. she handed it to my mom and my mom, <laughs> my mom handed it to her and she said, I can't read this. My mom said, why? Why can't you read? She goes, it's in cursive. And it's like, this woman's like 19 years old and she can't read cursive writing because it's not taught in schools anymore. And that's, and my mom said, it's terrible. I said, well, why is it terrible? I said, everything this woman does is online. She doesn't need to use yeah. cursive writing. So it's, it's a hard thing to switch over in your brain, but yeah, yeah. if you're only using fonts that are cursive fonts, you might be losing customers too. <laughs> yeah. Right. Know your audience, right? <laughs> it's so funny. Like, yeah, my the only people I know, I mean, my my grandmother since passed away, but she wrote exclusively in cursive. My mom writes in cursive. And I realized that I sort of write in cursive. But what I ended up realizing at one point, I was kind of comparing me and my mom's handwriting. It's mm. like, we're too lazy. And so we, we just connect the letters because we don't want to pick up the pen. Oh, and so it ends up looking too. like cursive. And I was like, oh, okay. Like that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. I, I have um, a bit of a hybrid myself. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's so funny, but you're totally right. Like cursive at this point is like a whole other language. And mm-hmm. you're the insiders really... and the outsiders. Yeah. It doesn't Absolutely. really serve a purpose anymore. What's then, interesting then, too, what's, <laughs> what's interesting about that to me is like, well, then is it considered more inclusive or exclusive mm. to not include cursive? Because there are still people who value and appreciate that, like your mom. So right. are you not being inclusive by not having cursive as a part of your, I don't know the answer to that. I just thought it was yeah. interesting. I would argue that you are being inclusive to not include cursive because she can also read print. So you, she's still included. She's still included. That, and that's just my two cents. I don't know. If you, As we say every week, if you have a strong opinion, tell us on Twitter and we'll be happy to <laughs> yeah. engage in a conversation. Do you want <laughs> Imagine to bring that's cursive her. back? Yeah, that's going to be our biggest now. drama we've ever started on Twitter. Is We're going to start a <laughs> cursive word right about cursive. <laughs> nice. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, one of the things that I think too is true with your book. So like the elements of style... Unless you are an you were an English major or like writing is your 100% passion or or vocation, you may not have even ever heard of it, right? Yeah, but totally. But what your book does is it says 
I don't care if you've ever heard of the Elmet style. Maybe it doesn't say it quite like that. I don't care. <laughs> Maddie cares. But <laughs> if the elements of style has not been part of your past, that doesn't mean that this book shouldn't be part of your future because this book actually talks about how you can write better for what you're doing, whether it's blogging, whether it's ad, you know creating ads, um, whether you are running social media accounts, this book helps you do that better, regardless of what your past history has been with elements of style and the totally. APA and all of those other, um, I had to learn to write Lovely in the APA styles. style. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what is APA? It's American Psycho- psychology association. It's like, right, why right. is that like a style that, that <laughs> the standard you know, do- doctoral students right. have to write in? Like my master's <laughs> the- thesis had to be written the APA style. And I was like, oh my gosh, does it really matter? You know, but anyway, <laughs> people, every, yeah, every- people do kind of glom onto their preferred yeah. style guides. Like when I wrote the book, um, we usually use AP style in addition to the blogsmith style, which for those who don't know, it's like news journalism. It's kind of about associated like timely press. reporting, yeah, associated press. Um, but then for the book, I use the Chicago manual of style, which is very similar, but lends mm-hmm. maybe better to like citations and which is different for a book than it would be for the internet. So it right. is interesting and it's kind of just like, try to find the baseline style guide that makes the most sense for whatever it is you're writing, because there are nuances to keep in mind. And I think, I think having those foundational style guides, like it is good. Like it it kind of starts us off all on the same page. And then it's like, you make edits for your brand and what's important Mm -hmm. to you. The most important thing, of course, is writing for your audience, which is what you said yes. at the very beginning of the podcast. Definitely. So I'm going to ask you perhaps a question you don't want to answer, but I'm good. <laughs> you know, you're, you're a guest, so you have to answer it anyway. <laughs> Regardless of the ability to break the rules, what's your biggest pet peeve when it comes to writing? Because I have one. I want to know Oof. what yours is. Oh, man. I, I have two. <laughs> Start with yours while I think of mine. Okay. So <laughs> the first one of mine is split infinitives. Like mm. I hate a split infinitive although in you know in in speaking I probably split them all the time but in writing like but the biggest most heinous split infinitive and I'm going to piss off all of the Trekkies now is to <laughs> boldly go where no mm. man has gone before right to boldly glow to is go the go boldly yes so right? so, so, so I know what crazy. is so I definitely know what a split <laughs> infinitive is but in case there's people listening who don't know <laughs> so as an infinitive is when you are i think it's the future tense of things like to go right it doesn't so it's have like to be future future but it's it, right so it's descriptive to, but it's the two words to do something to run to go to cook and when you put the adverb in between two and the action word, you have split that infinitive. So to mm-hmm. boldly go, to actively cook, to actively listen. So the correct way, of, I'm using air quotes because I know you can't see me, but the correct <laughs> way according to other style guides is that you put the infinitive with the um, the adverb afterwards. So to cook yeah. actively, to listen actively, to go boldly. Mm-hmm. And so like, mm-hmm. that's just one of my, because it just always grates. Like I was taught, so ingrained in me. Um, the other one is that, uh, I will die holding very tightly to my Oxford comma. It is so same important to me. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, me too. Oxford comma. It changes forever. meaning. It does. Without it, it the really meaning does. is different. Um, it, it absolutely. 
Yeah, I think just to add on a note to the split infinitive thing, I think it helped me to understand why that's a problem when I got into Spanish language learning. So it's like when you start to learn another language, and I think this is just like a pro tip in general, it makes your like your native language so much stronger because you start to realize, oh, this is why it's that way, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and we learn grammar in English class or, or, you know, whatever kind of throughout our schooling and all that. But I think it's, it's when you learn another language that you're like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, it's, this is the formula. Yeah. Yeah. You're cause you're totally right. Like, um, in Spanish, any two verb is one word, right? Like to eat is just comer. Like it's one thing. And so you can't split that word in half and put the adverb (laughs) in the middle. Yeah. You have to put it at the end. That makes total sense. So then I could imagine like if somebody was, if you split an infinitive and then somebody whose first language is Spanish is like reading your text, that might really confuse them because they're like, what the heck? Like, what's that? What's it too boldly? (laughs) Yeah. What? Oh my goodness. Yeah. They're like, they're like, I see an error. (laughs) Yeah. I never thought about that before. That's really cool. Like I never I knew what splitting an infinitive was. That, that's the only like way, like in my brain, I can understand it. It's it's yeah, because yeah, like in Spanish you can't. So it's like, oh, okay. So that, that's why you don't want to do it in English. Yeah, um, that makes perfect sense. I think my, something that like, yeah, makes me angry when editing or like <laughs> something that I, I ruthlessly get rid of. Um, a lot of it has to do with just like saying more with less, which is totally like the elements of style, like center, like steering guideline. And so one thing that comes to mind for me is some saying something like fortunately, but also clearly and obviously not almost none of those add value because fortunately you don't know what somebody else is going through. And it, it just doesn't really add anything anyway. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't add meaning. Um, and then for clearly and obviously, you're kind of calling your reader like a dummy when you say that, yes. whether you mean to or not, but they're coming to you to learn something. And so if it wasn't obvious to them, might be obvious to you because you're writing it. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's a way to unintentionally alienate someone. Especially mm-hmm. in, in when you are creating advertising or documentation for mm-hmm. customers. Courses. Yeah, because yeah. when you say to somebody, oh, this is an easy setup, and then they're struggling with it, they're like, if it's that easy, why am I that stupid? You know, right. and it's like, no, you just it's tried just to make it sound like <laughs> it is. And we tried to make it sound that way, so you'd buy it. <laughs> right, right. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, it's one of those things where you, you don't go into it with a bad intention, I don't think, but it can, it can snowball into something that, that hurts your brand, I think. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. Allie, do you have a pet peeve? I can't think of one. I have so many. That's I'm sure I do. <laughs> Maybe um, like a I'm word literally... that people spell wrong. I literally have like one eye on my Twitter, like scrolling through to see if I see because people <laughs> post things on Twitter all the time. And I'm, I, I like cringe because I'm like, wow, God, I hate that you said that that way, but I can't think of any right now. I'll Just tweet, watch, it. I'll tweet she, it out later. If she finds one, it'll probably be in my, tw- my Twitter. <laughs> oh no, absolutely not. I mean, one thing I dislike is when people in their writing use the same Uh, like idiom or phrasing many Mm. times. I more so notice this in like TV shows. Like there are literally shows I watch where I'm like, I know the same writer wrote episodes one, three, and five because the characters say the same little phrase many, many times. And like, I think that 
we can often sometimes forget often sometimes talking about using too many words um forget <laughs> it's it's different um, in verbal language that's we, true we make many more you know it, it can yeah, be thanks. totally grammatically incorrect I think absolutely um, we forget sometimes when we're writing you know copy or you know marketing language to kind of take ourselves out of it mm. like I re- I when I write something I usually look back at it and try to look at it from a much more objective perspective and, mm-hmm. and really like not, not scrub it of my voice and my, and my personality, but make sure that I'm not inserting too much of myself into it mm-hmm. um, in those kinds of ways that might not make a lot of sense. I don't have a great example at the moment, but yeah, yeah it makes, like I it think- makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, we have yeah. a step in our process that is like, okay, so you wrote the article. Now, t- yeah, take yourself out of it. Is Does this answer what the reader was searching for? Will they get something that they're looking for out of this? So it's, I mean, it's the same thing. And I think sometimes too, like there, there are appropriate times to have that me, I perspective when you're writing, like if you have a review or a personal experience and then it, then it totally makes sense that you would share it from the I perspective but I think there is there is a fine line to walk because you have to make sure that I experience is still relevant to the you, the person in second perspective who is reading it. So, I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's 100 percent relevant to every piece of content that I think everybody should create. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, my my dad's second wife, my first stepmother, when I we, we she was teaching me how to be attractive, but not an attraction, she would say, look in the I know this is her very right way. I can't wait to hear this. (laughs) Right. This, 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 I promise it applies when she would say, when you look in the mirror, before you leave the house, take away one thing. Like if you've got earrings, bracelets, rings, necklace, whatever. I mean, personally, if it's your style, it might be. Yeah. Today in today's age, like whatever your, your style is, go with your style. That's I'm not judging. But I look at my own writing that way too. So Mm. especially when it comes to punctuation, because I love the exclamation point when I write, <laughs> but I hate the exclamation point when I read. Mm. And so every time I create a tweet, I go back and go, okay, how many exclamation points did I use? Delete, delete, yeah. delete, delete, delete. I don't let myself have more than one exclamation point per tweet because otherwise it sounds like number one, you're just yelling and nothing <laughs> is that exciting that you have to yell everything you say. So that's true. Yeah. Even if you have like a baby or something, plug-in. right. Yeah. Right. But it's like, like one especially- exclamation. Just one. You get one because you had a baby, okay? <laughs> but especially when you're talking about selling plugins, right? Like your plugins great, but like you don't need four exclamation points in a tweet about, you know, your plugin. So right. Anyway. Is it 90% off one exclamation point? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I remembered my pet peeve. I remembered oh, my us. pet peeve. And then we should we should talk about wrapping up. Um yes. when somebody has a bulleted list mm. and each bullet does not start like in the same way. Mm. you know what I mean like parallelism um, exactly Mm -hmm. so if you have a bulleted list of like oh my plugin does all of these things and you're like um automatically does this cleanly does that and then (laughs) the next line is like um I don't know I can't think of a good example yeah 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 Yeah. like they should they should all either be start with a verb or an adverb or a noun, or like they should all start like in the same way. Yes. And I always think of it like, okay, 
because I just found a tweet <laughs> that does it where it's like looking for and then there's a yeah. bullet list of all of these things right um so I always think okay looking for and you take the bullet does that make a sentence right looking Finish. for the next one does that make a full yes. sentence and sometimes mm-hmm. it's like looking for are you right for this role blah 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 and it's like no 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 that doesn't work you gotta put that somewhere else right like the bullet yeah. list has to be like all the same thing if that makes sense we have so many rules about bullet list parallelism in the blacksmith style guide that like definitely one of my pet peeves too (laughs) so the bottom line is if you write and that's all of us but if you write especially for other people to read it you should get this book it is on Amazon. So. It's on. I have the Kindle version. I love Kindle. The problem is I can't write in the margins, but let's face it. I wasn't really going to read anything on paper anyway anymore because um, I lay in bed and read at night. So um, how can people find your book? I know it's on Amazon. How do they find it quickly? Can you give us some information on where they can find you? Totally. All of that information. Absolutely. So writingforhumansandrobots.com is like the hub of all the book stuff. You can buy the book from there. It's on Amazon, but you can get the link from there. You can grab a free chapter. And then you can also see some of like the testimonials people have written and some of the other like media features that the book has been featured in. Um, And then if you want to chat about the book, WordPress, technology, anything like that, I'm most active on Twitter. So Maddie Osman. And then finally, if you want to learn a little bit more about like the blogsmith and like our style guide, then check out theblogsmith.com. And I've also sent Allie and Michelle a link to our style guide. So you can also reference that. And we will have all of that in the show notes on our website. So um, thank you, Maddie, so much for being here today. It's really been, it's been fun. I love talking about different things and uh, it's been great to have you here. So thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks. So thanks you both. Absolutely. Next week, um, Allie is not available next week. And so I will be talking to Cami Chaos from Automatic about um, hiring, especially when it comes to diversity um, and inclusion in hiring yes. and employment that way. So um, make sure to join us next week where I will be talking to Cami. And um, yeah, thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. This episode was sponsored by the following companies. WP Wallet. WP Wallet is a free, simple, intelligent tool that helps WordPress professionals effortlessly manage all of their license keys and invoices for all sites and clients. Never forget a renewal, lose a license key, or miss out on a reimbursement again. Join WP Wallet for free today. Learn Dash. LearnDash is taking cutting-edge e-learning methodology and infusing it into WordPress. More than just a plugin, LearnDash is trusted to power the learning programs for major universities, small to mid-sized companies, startups, entrepreneurs, and bloggers worldwide. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode, using our database, or just want to say hi, go to underrepresentedintech.com. See you next week.